trying to wrestle with issues uh, that are realities in our world, uh, to see how the good news of Jesus intersects with these things. Uh, and it's really to try to uh, lay to rest the idea that the good news of Jesus is irrelevant uh, to some parts of life. And so we've looked uh, over the last few weeks, uh, if you've been around, at uh, things like addiction uh, and uh, some other stuff that has been our identity, uh, we've looked at refugees, a whole range of issues. And we've been trying to say, look, there's a connection uh, between this and the teaching of Jesus. Uh, so today we come to look at anxiety and our mental health. And I should probably just uh, say at the start that I'm not an expert on uh, mental health in all its range. There, there's much more to mental health than anxiety. But this morning I'm particularly wanting to look at how mental health and anxiety are linked uh, and to try to help us uh, as we think some of this through. Uh, I, I'm not an expert on anxiety, although I have been a little anxious uh, trying to prepare this sermon. And part of that anxiety actually stems from the reality that I know that some of us are really wrestling uh, with the challenges of anxiety, and it's a big deal. And I don't want to say things this morning that are trite or simplistic or in any way, if you are feeling really burdened by anxiety right now, to kind of push you down further. Uh, that's, that's really not it. Uh, because God is gracious and kind and compassionate. He loves all of us and He cares for us, whatever state we're in, uh, and particularly uh, if we're in rough space at the moment. So please hear that uh, as we begin this morning. Uh, I've been reading up a little bit about anxiety to uh, get ready for this morning, and uh, it really is something of a modern-day plague. Let me give us a definition to get us cracking on this one. Uh, this one was from one of the anxiety websites. Uh, here's the definition. Anxiety is our body's natural response to stress, it's a feeling of fear or apprehension about what's to come. Okay, so when we know we have some challenge awaiting us, like a test at school or a presentation at work or a job interview, we all start to feel anxious. Uh, we might feel tense. We might wake up in the night. Uh, we might start to feel a little bit afraid. And the reality is that all of this is appropriate because we know we've got a challenge to come. And it's part of the usual human experience to go through that kind of um, apprehensive state, if you like. Now, Generally, most of us learn to handle that stuff okay. Uh, we, we brace ourselves, we push through it, and we come out the other side. And the fact is that most of the time, things do turn out okay, right? We, we kind of get through, we pass the test, 
Uh, we, we, we have the job interview and it goes better and they don't ask us all the questions that we felt, felt like we couldn't answer. And we come out the other side and we go, and, and we kind of breathe. And, and life kind of moves on. We, that, that, that's the way life happens for us. Uh, I, I love the, uh, the statement attributed to an old man who near the end of his life is reported to have said, I have been anxious about many things, and most of them never happened. Right? And there is that sort of sense that we get anxious, and then, oh, so, oh, so we, we kind of make it through. So, so all of us know a little bit about anxiety, because we've all been there, we've all had that, we've all gone through it. But the reality of anxiety can get away from us. And so I want you to imagine anxiety as a swimming pool in which we're all kind of paddling around, usually at the shallow end, uh, where we're keeping our head above water and we're dealing with it because it's, it's there. But the reality of the swimming pool, and we've got a, 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 a slide here. So if anxiety, our usual end is the shallow end, we're, we're kind of up there, but this swimming pool called anxiety kind of slips away from us. And as we get deeper into it, uh, or as we slip, we can find ourselves in places which can be described as generalized anxiety disorder, uh, where we just get overwhelmed by the reality uh, that we are facing, and then we find ourselves unable to really move. It can move deeper into panic attacks. Uh, I read one person's description of a panic attack that he'd had, uh, and he felt like it was actually uh, having a heart attack. He was so gripped by it, uh, nothing he could do, just feeling totally overwhelmed. Uh, and then there is a correlation between anxiety and depression. And I think people who those of us that have de dealt with anxiety in the, the, the depths of it can find ourselves deeply underwater and the darkness of having to deal with this all the time just becomes a depressive reality uh, and, 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 and we look at life through gloom uh, and, and depression grips us and holds us close to the bottom. So if, if that is a depiction of anxiety... Uh, then the, the good news uh, is that once we get underwater, where we feel like we're drowning in this, there is help available. And I, I don't want you to hear this morning uh, any kind of trite stuff like, okay, just believe in Jesus and everything will be okay. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is medical help available, uh, and if you are in a place this morning where you are feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, then I would encourage you to get help, right? That's, that's important. And doctors can help. Uh, sometimes they will set up counseling uh, to, to help you talk this through and, and help it through. And sometimes they will move to medication uh, if the, the anxiety is so crushing that you are uh, unable to function. So please hear that, right? We're not against doctors or medical help or good care, and those things are available for those of us 
who are, are in the kind of bottom stage of the, of the swimming pool. So having said that, it, one of the interesting things about anxiety disorders is that while they are clearly an individually experienced reality, they tend to be part of a collective social response to stressful times. Uh, I found an article written in the New Republic just this last week by a lady by the name of Talia Levan. And she, in the article, graphically describes her own experience of overwhelming anxiety. And then, of course, that got her thinking about it. What am I dealing with? How do I handle this? And she notes that, uh, and she's an American, uh, she notes that over 30% of Americans can expect to deal with an anxiety disorder in the course of their lifetime. That's a big percentage uh, of uh, the population. And she also notes that the numbers of those affected by anxiety have risen in a statistically significant way since before or since 2017. So the last couple of years has seen a spike uh, in anxiety across American society. Here's what she says. Historic forces have driven the country, the USA, to fear as it never has before. From the boundless optimism of a corn-fed post-war empire, cheerfully jingoistic and fat in the coffers, the nation has awoken to a 21st century hangover, a long, jittery ride past militant triumphalism and economic overconfidence into endless war and endless uncertainty. Now, I think that's kind of interesting, right? That, that as she's thinking about anxiety, she's putting it in this wider frame of society at large, and society, at least south of the border, is feeling fearful and anxious. And it's contributing to this reality that people are experiencing. Now, we're in Canada, wonderful Canada, and we are not that far removed from that reality, I think. And so, uh, it is important to notice that we, as individuals, are part of a wider society reality, and we're dealing with that. So, we get affected by circumstances and, offense, uh, and events that are happening around us. And if things are looking dark in society, then they may be feeling dark for us, too. So, all that to say that anxiety is big, uh, I think we can probably all agree on that. And the question this morning is, how is the good news brought by Jesus relevant to this reality? And our passage this morning is taken from Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus teaches his disciples in what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus has gathered his disciples around him, and he tells his followers, don't worry about your life, in particular about food and clothing. Now that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Almost too simple. Just don't worry. But Jesus is moving from a simple instruction 
to try to kind of lay out a frame of life that I think is helpful and relevant to this discussion of anxiety. So, don't worry is a way of being that gets the attention off our own little worlds and our own troubles and frames us in a wider context. And the reason that Jesus gives that we shouldn't worry about our lives, and particularly where our food will come from or our clothing will come from, is that life is more important than either food or clothing. These are actually not very significant things. And to help us with this, Jesus directs our attention to the natural world and, to my delight, to the birds. (laughs) You see, the birds don't spend their time sowing and reaping. And yet, every day, God feeds them. Now, this is a point that Jesus is trying to, to, to make here. This is actually a very important point. As I wander around Western Island, and as I look at all the birds that are there, and there are many, it is truly astonishing to think that every day, every one of these snow geese in this picture get fed. God feeds them. That, that, that is a deep truth that actually ought to come in on us and affect us deeply. You know, every, every one of those birds gets fed every day. If they didn't get fed, they'd die. God is big enough and capable enough to feed every one of those snow geese every day. Get that. That's wonderful. And Jesus says that's important because it points us to a bigger reality. And the bigger reality is that our Father in heaven is looking after His world. And our Father in heaven is looking after us too. Right? That's important. So Jesus says, eyes eyes on the birds. Draw the connection. God cares for them. He cares for you, and he actually says you're more important than the birds. And if God's looking after them, he's going to look after you, make the point, make the connection. Oh, God, you're looking after me. Fantastic. If birding isn't your thing, I can't imagine that it wouldn't be. But, <laughs> but, if, but if birding isn't your thing, then maybe botany is. Jesus encourages us to pay attention to the wildflowers. They are better dressed than the red carpet crew at the Oscars. And they didn't spend millions on designer outfits. Take a look at these subalpine flowers up in Manning Manning Park. They are simply beautiful. And Jesus says, we need the time. We need to take the time to look and see and wonder and admire. Jesus says, you know what? They're better dressed by God. And he cares for them. And if he cares for them, he cares for you more. 
By taking the time to look and notice God's provision in the natural world, we can be freed from the crushing anxiety that has us quivering about the relatively minor details of our lives like food and clothing. But the heart of Jesus' teaching in this passage is that the Heavenly Father knows what we need. That's the the underlying point, right? Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. This is good news for all of us. This is the ground of being. This is the bottom of the swimming pool, if you like, on which we can stand. This is solid ground. The Heavenly Father knows what you need. Anxiety is clearly tied to and deeply connected to fear. And the antidote to that is trust in God. It's knowing where that floor is. The Heavenly Father knows what you need. And so Jesus, in this passage, invites us to focus our energy on God's kingdom and His righteousness. He is trustworthy. He has proved His trust for us in so many ways. Every day we have been alive. We have eaten, right? That shows that the Father is looking out for us. But it's better than that. The Father has sent His Son, Jesus, into our world. He has laid down His life in self-sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. He has brought us back from all the chaos of our lives and has freed us to become His children. He has called us His own. He has welcomed us into His family. This is the reality of God's trustworthiness. And Jesus calls us not just to look at the natural world, but to look at the Father and to recognize what the Father has done for us and how good that actually is. In that we stand. We are His loved children. And in that, Jesus makes a promise. As we seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, God freely gives us all that we need. We don't need to be anxious, according to Jesus. So what I see here in Jesus' framing uh, of this approach to life is a way to deal with the problem of drowning in the swimming pool of anxiety. This way we won't need to worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. We begin to live in the now, conscious of God's presence and supply, and we don't need to ruin today by being so anxious about tomorrow. Now, I just want to come back to where we began. I'm conscious that these words of Jesus may seem to be a little too easy, particularly if you are being overwhelmed by anxiety right now. But there is some thought that our current societal malaise comes as a result of the hold that technology, media, and particularly our cell phones have over us. 
To me, it is interesting that Jesus, who knows us well, invites us to get up and go outside to look at the birds and the flowers, in effect, to stay connected to the rhythms and seasons of the natural world. I know that after I have spent a morning birding and ignoring my phone, which I'm very happy to do, my life feels better. And I have a suspicion that I am easier to be around because I'm less tense and I'm less anxious. So I'm just putting this out there as an idea. If you're drowning in anxiety right now, get outside, breathe, look at the mountains, look at the birds if that's your thing, or the flowers, or get in touch with the ground. Go gardening. Do something that takes you out from the constructed world of of our humanity into God's freer world. It may help you a lot. The second passage this morning, the one in Philippians, is extremely practical, and I just want to refer to it as I wrap this up. Paul, addressing the Christians of Philippi, tells them to rejoice in the Lord always. I want to suggest that the result of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness is actually relational connection with Jesus, right? That's what it's supposed to be about. As we learn to seek God's kingdom, we find the king. And as we meet the king, we draw close to the king and we discover that he's wonderful and that he cares for us and that he wants to walk with us and that he knows us deeply and that we can turn to him. And so it's actually a joyful thing to be a follower of Jesus, Knowing Him, walking with Him, is joy. So Paul says, rejoice. Even in the midst of suffering, we sang that earlier this morning, rejoice because the King is the King, the Kingdom is coming because we are loved children. We're resurrection people. No matter how bleak our circumstances, we know the One who has triumphed over death and hell. Rejoicing is always appropriate, even if we're depressed or discouraged or feeling like we're at the bottom of the pool. Paul says, your gentleness should be evident to all. They are in Christ, and Christ is the one who didn't break bruised reeds. That's one of the descriptions of him out of Isaiah, right? He doesn't break a bruised reed. He, he, he comes to places of brokenness and he brings healing and hope. So he's gentle. And we've got to learn to look like that. Paul reminds them that the Lord is near. After all, he promised he would never leave us. And he's poured out his spirit into our hearts. So the king is with us. So how then practically do we start to live out this non-worried life. Well, our job, according to Paul, is to keep turning back to King Jesus and handing over to Him all the worries and the fears that we are carrying. 
Do not be anxious, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is a, this is a spiritual discipline. This is something we need to learn to do. It's actually stepping towards the Lord, no matter how we are feeling or what the circumstances of our lives are, and turning to Him and saying, Lord, today I have this challenge to deal with. I feel really anxious. Please help me. And as we do that, and as this becomes the pattern of our lives, as we seek to stay connected to God in all circumstances, praying and inviting Him to intervene, and as He starts to answer our prayers, we have grounds on which to be thankful. Right? We go, God, you got me through today. Thank you. I was so anxious going into it. You met me. You walked me through. Thank you. And in that, we grow trust. And trust, we think, is the antidote to anxiety. I think this becomes the pattern that we have to try to work into our lives, no matter where we are in the pool at the, the moment. All these things will help us. And there's a promise to end it. We've already heard this morning about God's promises being yes and amen in Jesus, right? And Paul promises that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we're looking for, that protective peace under which we can go through tough circumstances and situations, knowing that God is there for us. So, we all deal with anxiety. Some of us here, likely a good proportion of us here this morning, are somewhere near the deep end than the shallow end on anxiety. The Lord is near, particularly when we feel like we're struggling or are overwhelmed. May we all turn to Him and discover Him to be a very present help in our times of trouble and the one who rescues us and saves us.